It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. State football has a lot going on. Uh, I'm Thomas Frank Carr. I don't have the skills that the two people you have, you see here on the show have. Stop. The storyteller and the information gatherer, um, both guys have the ability to cut through all of the things going on right now and give you the information you need to know about Penn State football, firing Mike Yersich, losing to Michigan, setting up for Rutgers, the final part of the 2023 regular season. We are here on Tuesday after, in the aftermath of all of those events, right before the Rutgers game. So, gentlemen, welcome to the show. I want to give you the opportunity to have your first thoughts here. Nate, what, what are your thoughts coming out of everything we just saw with Penn State football? Uh, how much time do we have? <laughs> well, we have about 60 minutes, but you have about two minutes here. No, nah, but for me personally, uh, let's go with 60 minutes. Uh, no, look, it's, I, I think that the, there's certainly a lot of gray and there's, there's places that we can take this. I mean, there's a million places that we could take this. And I, I feel like we have over the last, uh, three days, but when you boil it down, it's that they didn't play well offensively against the uh, the two teams in the conference that they're trying to beat, right? That they're trying to get on the level of. Uh, they, they just it, it's consistent, right? <laughs> it is offensively. It's not. It's not as though there are, um, you know, like uh, oh well, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. It, it's no. Uh, the offense wasn't able to do to score at a level or, or perform at a level that is a requisite of beating those teams, right? You can even say uh, the, the high watermark was the 31 points against Ohio State last year, but it included four turnovers, right? And, and one of those was a, a pick six. So you, you've just got these situations where, uh, it, it it has been made abundantly clear over the past three years that Penn State has not made progress offensively uh, to the level needed to get past those those two teams. And and without that, uh, you know, James Franklin felt as though it was time to make a move. And I think it's hard to argue against it at this point. Fitz, uh, what's come? What's off the top of your mind today? Yeah, same thing. I mean, the the big game is what it comes down to. We talked to James Franklin yesterday, and uh, he basically said that, you know, decisions were made that uh, weren't necessarily what they were going for, and the results for themselves here, man. I mean, we, we talk all that time about the two-game season, and we talk too much about the two-game season, but that's what it's come down to, and Penn State's 0-2 in that two-game season. So, I, I, I mean, it, I think this is a situation that progressed from Ohio State. I mean, there's frustration there. With everybody, I mean, with uh, we talked about it after the Ohio State game with the defense, like the way that they've played and the way that they've been supplemented. I mean, that's got to be just killer for Manny Diaz and that crew. And you know, that uh, finally comes to a head, comes to a head with Rutgers and Michigan State still on the schedule. So that's an opportunity for you to, you know, see what you have in house. I don't think they're going to go in house. I think they're they're aiming big here. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's a situation that you could kind of see the bread or you could trace back the breadcrumbs to that Ohio state game. And this Michigan one just put it over the top and it's not going to, it clearly was not going to get it done in the games they needed to get it done. And uh, that's, that's the results that you see. I've been thinking a lot about this and, and Nate and I had a conversation after James Franklin's press conference. Uh, some of it made it onto the camera and we talked about that on the blue white illustrated YouTube channel, but what it comes down to it, Nate has laid the point out several times that, and you guys just said it in the big games, this team hasn't been good enough. Uh, and when you try to scratch deeper of like, okay, what are the issues? How do you untangle it? It is just, it explodes in your face. It's recruiting issues, offensive line, receivers, play calling, 
um and and some of the deeper things that i tried to get a kind of get a, a handle on this week of how the how the sausage was made for this team and it seems like there were issues at all the levels of these teams so all the levels of that for this team so then the, the it just becomes i think that stuff the, the totality of it is what matters not necessarily all the individual factors as you you guys are saying is that it's all a problem and i guess this is then the question nate um that i i have for you that wraps up to that's the offensive coordinator's fault that all those issues persist that led to bad game days against your best competition those small inefficiencies is that is that a, a fair way to phrase that yeah i just think it i just think it demands context it demands okay this is a disaster in these games yeah this is a disaster overall no I don't think I would say that it, it's not, it's not a horrible offense. They've had problems this year. Like no doubt about it. The receivers are part. You just listed some of them. It is comprehensive. It's, mm -hmm. it's all the way across the board. Everything goes into it. And so what you end up having is a overall against weaker competition or against not the best, a, eh, eh, okay. Like, Okay, as an offense, they're all right. They've had some moments. Yeah. Uh, they've done some some things that have uh, worked well with that complementing piece of the defense, right? Which is which is an important component and factor to this. Not messing it up, right? <laughs> but by holding on to the football, like those are those are good things. Those are things that you want. But ultimately, it, this whole conversation is not about that. It's not about what you do in those other 10 games. And I will say uh, the, the foregone conclusion that they'll be fine against the Rutgers team that has a pretty good defense yeah, is good defense, I feel, yeah. I feel premature, right? Like they, they got to get out of the woods here. They got to yeah. be able to, to finish this thing out with the group that they have. But the whole conversation just comes back to, what James Franklin said yesterday, you have to play your best game of the season against the best teams on the schedule. And instead they're not even average performances offensively, yeah. right? Like you could yeah. throw up, you could throw up your, your Illinois performance, which wasn't a great offensive performance, but if you had il the Illinois game against Michigan and Ohio state, you might've actually been, okay, or at least a little bit more competitive offensively than what they were able to do, but but they're not. And so they, they've had their worst performances in the games that demand their best performances, and ultimately that falls to the feet of the offensive coordinator. But the offensive coordinator is James's job. That's his whole deal, right? right? Like, that's his mm -hmm. responsibility. So, yes, it's the, it's the offensive coordinator's responsibility to run that operation and it's James's responsibility now to fix it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Um, we'll get to more of this conversation. You're going to get about 60 minutes of this today. Uh, and we'll also talk about what's coming up next and, and, and the next steps for the offense. But right now we, I want to tell you, uh, about my new favorite sponsor because, uh, I'm genuinely, I love this guy, Bruce Lombard, Lombard MMA, uh, local business love to get a bunch of local businesses here because we are a local show. All three of us here sitting here live in state college. If you have a son or a football team, 
Do you want to give them an edge on the football field? The good news is you don't have to live in State College to get access to Bruce's instructions. Every split second and every moment in the game matters. That's what we're talking about today. So train like the best by training with the best. MMA FX is a hand-fighting course taught by Bruce Lombard of Lombard MMA in State College, but he has a video training set, and he has trained some of the best programs from Alabama to the New York Giants over the last several seasons in hand-fighting expertise. Uh, you can get the MMA FX video, which is 25 different techniques, 60 drills, four levels of difficulty, with all of the aim to making you be a better football player that can win the point of contact. You can win your assignment. So if you, again, if you have a son that you want to give an edge on the football field to, if you want to, you have a uh, a defensive line, you want to make them better. This system benefits defensive linemen, linebackers, receivers specifically, but there's also. <clears throat> excuse me there's also an offensive line boxing class that teaches you a bunch of different great techniques so there's too many things to get here to today but specifically one thing i want to point out is um i think we've all been pretty impressed with what Dion barnes has done with the defensive line this year bruce lombard trained Dion barnes he trained daquan jones who was having a great year for the buffalo bills before he got injured so the results speak for themselves visit mmafx.net today to learn more or you can t contact bruce Bruce at MMAFX.net. So super happy to have Bruce here. And I want to I want to keep him happy because I don't want him to fight me. Uh, I'm terrified. Olu Fashanu does it. What else do you need? Yeah. Maybe one day you can be a top five pick if you train with Bruce. But no. He's me uh personally, me personally. He's, may, here's, maybe. Here's the thing is like you can't control if you're six six. You can't control if you have the gifts of Olu, but you can maximize every single potential every single moment that you have by using Bruce's techniques because uh, deny Dennis Sutton works with him and deny has been pretty unblockable this year. Right. Right. And did you see the cutups of Olu from the Michigan game like that? Boy, he's good. Yeah. <laughs> and I understand where the offense is, is the big train wreck right now, but man, he's a, he's a heck of a player, but yeah, the, we appreciate Bruce. We appreciate uh, everything he does for us to cover and also as a sponsor, cause he's done an awesome job. And uh, notice that bills reference in there. Is that the only bills reference we're going to get today from you? Uh, unless you want to talk about Joe Brady. Um, so no, <laughs> nothing, nothing happened last night. Okay, good. Move I was, so yeah, I, I, I <laughs> running on five hours of sleep of disappointment because of whatever, what that game was last night. The, the worst defense to have on the football field with four seconds left is the bills secondary. I don't know why they keep giving up games in the very final five seconds, but they do Fitz. By the way, you looking good. Did you get a haircut recently? That's nope, good. I have one scheduled for next week. I just, uh, I, you know, I wore that collared shirt on Sunday for the show, so I figured I got some grace, so I'm just kind of slumming it today, and I just kind of did the, you know, the regular look. I'm using my Caldera products, which they're not sponsoring the show today, but I still use them whenever they're not sponsoring, so, uh, but no, but I appreciate it. Thank you. That's a, it makes me feel really good. Good. Didn't say that. <laughs> uh, what do you what do you want to talk about from yesterday from Mike Yersich to the, the Mike Yersich got fired press conference? <laughs> Because there was there was 99% questions about Mike Yersich yesterday. So James Franklin's press conference was happening yesterday. It's all rolled into the same conversation, which also all rolled into the Michigan game. So we're going to get to all of it sporadically throughout the show. But where did what stood out to you about James Franklin's comments when asked about his decision to move on from Yersich the day before? Um, the, the first thing I, I didn't think it was a question, but it was asked about whether that was his decision or whether that came from above him. I mean, that that's a Franklin decision. He's got he's got control, man. Like he's he's you know, answers to Pat Kraft, answers to Neely and all that kind of stuff. But like, this is a decision that he made. And I know Nate has been absolutely spitting fire on the message board the couple the last couple of days. And you should check that out if you're on uh, Blue White Illustrated. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a decision that was not, um, I'm going to, I'm going to light you up or I'm going to set you up for this one, Nate. A decision not made by pressure, like outside pressure, but a decision to get better. Like, and that's uh, really what, I think people are missing like I think that the over, the outside um, the outside noise is a bit overrated in situations like this because you know what's going on in the building seven days a week as opposed to the one day on the on the schedule and obviously that's been an issue as well um, but I think that this is something that has been building for the last couple of weeks and it's not really a, a reactionary piece as much as it is a hey to get where we need to get that just can't happen again and it's and you've got too much evidence from these games, from these two game seasons that you keep losing that to, to think that it's going to just magically change in the off season. Nate, he set you up. Go for it. All right. I'll hit. This is my, this is my fastball. Um, 
I was going to use it later, but fine, Fitz, <laughs> you insist. No, it's it, it's exactly that. It's it's this is the the being comfortable with the uncomfortable, right? And so, if you're looking at the environment that James Franklin is surrounded by right now, it is like any one of us in that in those shoes would be deeply uncomfortable. I would be deeply. <laughs> I mean, how awkward, how how awful to to have such a sentiment from your fan base to be just vigilantly against you and the decisions that you make. It, it is like, doesn't sound great. Not something I would enjoy, but I, uh, I, I think what he said yesterday about being able to, like he was asked, what did he hear when he came off the field? And look, that I, I think everybody's kind of seen those social media clips people throwing stuff, some, some name calling, some not nice things. Ola, um, excuse me, uh, Vega. Yeah. Excuse me. Venga calling back and, and being pretty aggressive about it and defending his coach. Like that's, that's not a great place to be, but I think that Franklin making this move and doing so in a way that, uh, is atypical for him, right? He, mm -hmm. he has, he has replaced coordinators in the past, uh, some not by choice, right? This narrative that this is something that he's had to do. They're cycling through coordinators. Well, some of them are because they took head coaching jobs. And one was because he didn't really want them in the first place. And the first one was because that's what you do when you get a new job. You don't like you bring your staff with you. So there is context that's important uh, instead of just like, oh, he's, he's just trading these guys like uh, baseball cards. It's, it's not that. Uh, however, the the list of evidence, the things that he had to go through and look at to evaluate the performance of the offense in these games and in totality over the last three years was enough for him to say, Hey, uh, we're not going to wait. We're not, we're not going to do this later. What's the point? Why, yeah. why do that? Right. Because a, a guy who, a guy who's uncomfortable, a guy who isn't uh, at peace with understanding where this program is and where he wants it to go might sit on his hands. He might be willing to, to let things play out longer and, and hope for something to change, even though there's no reason at this point to hope for that. There, there, there just isn't evidence of that. So the fact that he made this decision right now speaks to me to the fact that he sees this as a, a massive opportunity to improve the program. He's got the backing of the university president, of the athletic director, He's going to have a budget to work with. I expect and anticipate that will make this a highly appealing pitch. And so you've got these contrasting different, like it's fascinating. Yeah. Everyone on the outside thinks this is the disaster, right? Uh, James Franklin, we have established is an excellent recruiter, right? We know that we know yep. that he has an ability to bring people into the program, whether it's recruits or coaches that even when it might not seem like the most advantageous position for them, he's able to sell the idea for those people that it is the most advantageous position. And so my anticipation in every way is that he will be able to appeal to and recruit an excellent offensive coordinator to fill this position. Stephen Light is, is buying that. Uh, he's here on the YouTube channel as always. He says, good morning, gentlemen and fans. Time to think about next season in the NIL. Making it sound like NIL is the NFL draft for college football fans now. Hope that James can find an offense coordinator who can help the quarterback. And, and Nate, uh, just to follow up here quickly, I want to get to some other things. But um, is it more than the quarterback? Because I'm fixated on the quarterback, making sure that your best option for being elite, getting to that next level is comfortable and confident, but that will happen if you have just like greatness around him as well. So like it's, it's about more than the quarterback or is, is the quarterback front and center in the conversation in your mind? Me or Fitz? Me? You, you. like, yeah, you know, no, like I think it's, the... I think it's, I think it's extremely important. Obviously. I mean, <laughs> you have to, you have to be able to, uh, but, but it can't be, it can't just be about Drew. <laughs> Right? Like it has to be, it has to be about more than that. It has to be about what you believe uh, is the, the, the blueprint for success 
I, I think in a paramount way against those two teams. Yeah. Right. Like you have to, you have to mold this to that idea and be willing to accept that that idea and that blueprint might be susceptible against some of the other defenses in the league against yeah. some of the other ways that, that uh, opponents are going to play you through the season. But yeah, it, it's, it is a huge factor to be able to at this moment, get drew back on a path that you want him on uh, and then be able to, to get the pieces around him in place that you feel like you need to be able to have the type of success against those teams that you want. Yeah. And I, it fits, I guess that the, the question I was trying to ask, and, and I think the point is like, it's not just about getting the quarterback to play well and a lot of passing yards. It's about, and both of you guys are saying this, find the absolute best offensive coordinator and having the resources to make that guy want to come to Penn state it, it, and that is about the quarterback and beyond that. Is that a fair way to phrase that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, if this is a pivotal spot for quarterback recruiting at Penn state, and I know that you can always go through different personnel and different coordinators and things like that. And you're, you know, running out of, you know, different ways to say it, but Penn state does not have a reputation of developing quarterbacks despite Sean Clifford, fifth round pick, Trace McSorley, sixth round pick, I think it was. And then before that, Hackenberg, second round pick. But that was, you know, a long, it feels like so long ago. So they don't have this um, this reputation where they're, the, they're at that top level and that top tier of quarterback recruiting. But Drew was the guy that could change all that. So you're looking at a spot where that's that's a pivot right there. So he can either change all that because he's good and he's got these tools to be a, a high level draft pick or it could go completely wrong and you can find yourself festering in the waters of Micah Bowens, you know, where you've been in the past. So that was really mean. I'm sorry. I didn't, I shouldn't have gone Come on, Fitz. Um, but, but to the point know. of like, let, let me, let me make it right for you. Fitz of like here in the chat, everyone's bringing up names. We know Moorhead and Prabula could be a good situation. Not going back to the same well of playing the same style, playing the same way, like, evolving the situation and not necessarily having to think of the same guys that you have relationships with, but like, this is truly a national search for the absolute best player uh, coordinator that you can find um, based on the parameters of the, of the position. Not necessarily. We need to bring in somebody we know because we have that relationship. Yeah. I mean, you're looking at a spot right now where, you know, Penn state has made the most oftentimes out of what they have. But Ohio State is not in a situation where, you know, I don't think Kyle McCord's lighting the world on fire, but like they're getting the guys that can put them in position to function at the highest level. Penn State, on the other hand, trying to make the most of what they have in the situation. That's a big gap right there. That's a big difference um, in programs there. So I, I just uh, it, it's so tough to say because you can't make a hire based on one guy. They obviously didn't make the Franklin hire based on Hackenberg, which is the, the right decision in the long run. Like that's not not a situation where you have to go with one guy because this is not a guy that you can sign to a seven year extension like a like a pro quarterback. So find a guy that fits. Um, you know, we, we keep going back to the Franklin scheme and the Franklin um, core, whatever he's going to use as an offense. He's got a loose st- set of standards like I don't think I don't think you can look at his offense or look at the 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 ones that he has put together and say this is exactly what he wants to do and he's he's rigid and he's not going to get away from that like that's that's the issue I have this with this whole thing about Franklin like uh just like stepping on everybody's toes and every time something goes bad with the offense he is the guy that's running it and Nate's smiling because we've had this meddling the, the word is meddling the word is meddling and y- y- you don't have proof of that and I've Talk to a lot of people that have coached on that sideline, coordinators included. They don't say that that's the case. Now, he's got input. He's a head coach. He better have input. But it's not a situation where he's going out calling, changing play calls, changing strategies and things like that. And that's the toughest thing to get out out from under is because there's this perception out there that he's the guy that's mucking up everything. And I I just that's a that's a crazy way to think about it. And it goes back to the quarterbacks thing because he has never had that top top level guy at the end of the day. You know, he's he's brought in some pretty good quarterbacks and, you know, brought in, brought in Will Levis, who ended up being a draft pick. But there are plenty of marks against him on the quarterback thing. This is the thing that was supposed to get him over the hump. And yeah. there's still a chance that it can. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's if you're looking at the the long view and James Franklin making hard decisions, that's that's about you know, not specifically just about Drew, but getting over that hump and developing the quarterback and, and everything that James Franklin said about getting the quarterback in rhythm and the issues with the offense this year specifically of not doing things to put Drew Aller in success, in a position to have success. 
Um, in, in my film room, I talk about the percentage of times Drew Aller was throwing the ball on third and fourth down. If you haven't checked it out, it came out this morning. Like I was shocked when I saw some of these numbers. Of if you want, I put context to what James Franklin said about the Michigan Michigan game specifically. Um, we got a question here. Samaref Serene asks: We use the metric of losses against big teams, but we have always been underdogs against them, meaning Ohio State and Michigan. Um, I get we had bad performances against them. Uh, it, what makes him mad is wasting <laughs> Drew and the defense. So I guess the the metric of James Franklin being the underdog but not winning any of these games. I guess the, what do you guys? How do you view that in the in the parameters of he's making a change to make that happen again? But still, there have been different coordinators. There have been different defensive styles. There have been different offensive styles, and they still have the same issue of being underdogs in, in those games. Nate, is there is there validity to you have to win as the underdog every once in a while, or is it truly like you have to find the right pieces to be in the building to win, and they still are going through that process, and this is a part of that? Um. I, I mean, certainly I think that there's elements of both. Look, like another another win or two out of what we're at 14 tries now against top five teams would be good for Penn State. <laughs> right? like that. Bottom line, would it be better if uh, if he wasn't a one in 12 or one in 13, whatever it is now? Yeah, for sure. Uh, is it reasonable to expect him or Penn state to be better than like three wins in that same span, given where Penn state has been ranked for the majority of those games? No, it's not. It's crazy. It, th that whole conversation is uh, just wildly misrepresented mm -hmm. in terms of how often other programs win as underdogs. It, mm -hmm. it just is. Uh, especially against top five uh, type opponents. It yes. just so happens that the two teams that are trying to play in the big 10 are perennially in the top five. Like they, yeah. they just are, they, they have been uh, it. I know I should not be stunned by this, but looking back at Ohio state and seeing that a run of net, not in the, all of James Franklin's tenure, not having a season finishing worse than seventh is genuinely incredible like that <laughs> say what you want uh national championships or not that is a remarkable run of success for that team it is consistently elite at ohio state and it just so happens that michigan has turned the corner over the past three years to to be part of that conversation so yeah yeah it like the the problem that i see for james franklin for penn state football right now is this notion of the the upward trajectory right because this this was that this yeah. was the upward trajectory now it's like okay for for the the arc of his career and his tenure at penn state it's been mostly trying to do this you're fighting an uphill battle there were outside constraints things that had to be considered to get to that place but now that they 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 got here they like those are, so I'm describing it on the screen, but point being is Michigan and Ohio state have been excellent and Penn state is near them They're yeah. They can see them. They're there, yeah. but they, they haven't been able to continue that progress in, yeah. in a demonstrable way on the field. They have not been able to make that progress. And that is very, very damaging. I feel like when it comes to the perceptions of the program uh, and where they want to go. I would have some yodeling music while you were doing this because it's very prices, pr very prices right. And, and this is the, the fits. I guess this is the next question. And we're I'm kind of beating around the bush with things that are in the chat. The reaction to Mike Yersich being fired, um, the they, Penn State fans want their pound of flesh and they got it. Mike Yersich is fired, but it does not seem that it has satisfied them because as Fitz just, as, as Nate just said, um, they've gotten to a certain point where they've gotten up the, the hill and then they crap out and now they're back at kind of the position they were before where in 2017 they're challenging and they crap out um and they're not maintaining that level of consistent progress towards the point where now you have your five-star quarterback and the offense still isn't working so i guess like we've talked around this but it, it is is the is this change necessary to set i to satisfy penn state fans um for the failings of that 
I mean, it's a college football fan base is never going to yeah. be satisfied. Even when you're, when you're lifting that trophy at the end of the year, when, when Georgia's lifting their third straight trophy this year, like that's that some people will not be satisfied. But no, I mean, Nate's right. It's a slow climb, slow climb, slow climb. And then there's only like there's only so much to do at the top of the mountain. And the things that you have to do at the top of the mountain are beat the ones that are already there. And it's harder yeah. to, you know, I know they say it's harder to stay there. But like when you can do this in college football and you can recruit at the level that Ohio State has been able to recruit. And you've been sort of, you know, like the, your your trajectory, and and said several times that 2016 was like, I don't want to say too much too fast, but like that that really just blew all expectations out of the water. And then 2017, you know, you got to the top of that mountain, and then you fourth and five, you dipped. You know, that's yep. kind of, or actually, actually that was 2018. Sorry, um, but no, that's kind of just the the same wall that you keep running into and it, the, the colors don't change you know the, yeah. the the logos don't change and that's the frustrating part is you're just sitting on the outside waiting to get in the game and you just you know you keep you just have to keep sitting there and that's the most frustrating part so yeah it, it's been it's been i mean when that's the you know and, and maybe with divisions going away which that is the, i mean that's the big thing here right is like yeah. penn state has to play those two teams every year because they're in the big 10 east they don't have to do that next year Will that change things? I don't know. Will will this hire change things? I, I don't know. Nate and I are not going to sit here and tell you that this next guy is going to blow it out of the water. Like this is something that is a very, very big question mark. James has made good hires. James has also made not good hires like that. That, that is the the elephant in the room here. And it's just going to it's it, I don't know if it's going to be good or bad. It's going to be different. We we're, we're not going to know that. Yeah, it's a, it's a you you said exactly the thing I was thinking after the game immediately watching Michigan win a game against Penn State where you felt like Penn State had the opportunity based on the way the defense is playing. I'd like something new to talk about. I'd like a new way to say all of this stuff, but we're in the same exact position. We're going in circles uh, and we're saying the same things. Michigan and Ohio State are better. Penn State hasn't gotten to that level yet. Here we are saying the same things on Tuesday after saying the same things in the postgame show. So here's something that is uh, could be new and revolutionary for your life, and that is My Perfect Franchise. Ready to leave the corporate rat race for the American dream? Or maybe you want a side hustle. I'm a side hustle guy. If I can, if I can increase what I'm doing in, uh, in incremental ways, I absolutely love that. This is increasing what you do in a massive way. You can build wealth, diversify, leave a legacy for your family. My perfect franchise and Andy Ludicky uh, is a great opportunity if you have the skills. If you are a person that has corporate management skills, understand how to run a business, and have an expertise in a certain field. This is not for everybody, but this is for you if it's for you. And he is able to help you figure that part out with his free consultations. So check out MyPerfectFranchise.net. You can give him a call, 404-973-9901, or you can email him, Andy, at MyPerfectFranchise.net. Whether things are booming or there's a downturn in the economy, there's always an avenue forward in business. And Andy has personal experience managing multiple franchises and is going to share his knowledge with you. And most, most importantly, like I said, he's putting you in the right business so you can be successful and you can reach your full potential and get that unlimited PTO of being your own boss and having that be a meaningful thing where you're not working 24-7. Or you can if you want to. If you want to be a hands-on owner, again, 404-973-9901. Thanks to Andy for being a sponsor here on the BWI live show. Let's talk a little bit about the game, um, and we'll get into it from James Franklin's comments, being very specific, because I asked him, is it the plan or is it the execution of the plan? Because he talked about execution of the plan, not getting the quarterback in rhythm, but also the game plan didn't seem like it was setting the quarterback up for success generally throughout the uh the two big games we're talking about here so not getting the quarterback in rhythm was a big part of that uh Fitz what did you think about the Penn State offense specifically we haven't really talked a whole lot about the game um you know what were your thoughts of and you're you're muted here what were your thoughts of what uh what you saw on Saturday from the offense that led to where we are now well I thought it stunk you know I mean, I, I, I don't know. And, and, and with Mike Yersich getting fired, I haven't gone back and really looked too closely at it because that's kind of the whole story, right? You know, if you're going to fire right. your offensive coordinator after a game like that, it's probably pretty bad. Again, same story as Ohio State, no continuity, um, no purpose. Um, a lot of trying to coach around and outsmart the other side when you didn't need to. And I think that's, mm -hmm. I mean, that's been the most frustrating thing for Penn State fans to watch this year is like, hey, there's a good game. 
and then all of a sudden, you know, there's a change and something doesn't happen. All of a sudden it's, it's third and three, fourth and three, you know, that that's kind of been the situation there so much built into preventing turnovers, which they've done a great job of at, yep. to, to the extent where it's been a detriment to what they're trying to do yeah. so much worrying about staying ahead of the sticks and staying ahead of schedule that I think that they've called the game in that 10 yard box. Like we talked yep. about that, the, the passing tree, uh, the, the, the receiver root tree has been pretty much non-existent past the yellow line, you know, that's that. And I know it's, it's, it's digital, but like, that's where Penn state likes to play. Like you're talking about, uh, you know, the, everyone's turning to the Catron Allen thing. I'll, I'll turn to the Catron Allen thing, nine yards on first down. Then you throw a pass near the line of scrimmage. And I know that was a check. James Franklin said afterwards, it was a, yep, it was a run play. They checked to a pass play, check to a pass play. That's great. Second and one, you're just asking yourself to either go backwards or not get what you need by going horizontally like that. Mm -hmm. These are things that are just like, what, what are we doing here? And it's, and, and I know that, that we're, we're not offensive coordinators. Nate, you're not an offensive coordinator, right? What? No. Yeah. <laughs> I could be. I play and it's one just on YouTube. <laughs> the, 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 we, we keep talking identity and stuff, but just like from yeah. a down to down basis, there are so many dead spots. I mean, it's like driving through central Pennsylvania. Just there's nothing <laughs> there. And sorry, Nate, I've no, been doing that one for a I couple, like that. couple yeah, yeah. years now. Um, it, it, it's been a situation where there's just no continuity and you can't have that because it, it, you know, loses your players. It loses their ability to think that they can make the plays because they're waiting for somebody else to make the, the, the small enough play, you know, you yeah. average three and a half yards of carry, you're going to get a first down, but there's a lot more that goes into it when you yeah. talk about that. So it's just, uh, I, I, I'm so tired of watching it, man. Just it, it was a situation. <laughs> yeah. And I, I know they scored 51 points two weeks ago, but like the scoreboard has kind of, and I know somebody mentioned it earlier, the scoreboard has been like their worst enemy because you come away from a game of 63 points. You come away from a game of 51 points yep. thinking it's okay. And Nate, you said it after the UMass game, after they scored 63 points, it's not okay. Like there's, yeah. there's something fundamentally Something's wrong. Here. wrong. Fundamentally so, wrong. We can play the Nate was right graphic that we uh, should, should probably make that one up. Um, <laughs> but it's just been, it's, it, it's been a situation where there's, there's nothing that you can do other than blame the head guy, blame the, the play caller. And right. there's so much blame to go around. Fitz, T Frank. One uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, I was, I was just going to ask you when you're in your value, like, the, uh, again, as as a uh, an affirmed idiot uh, of the game of football, the things that stand out to me, if I'm looking at this season, yeah, it is trying to break tendencies too much. It, it is an over the top effort to whether it's the trick plays, whether it is running Nick straight into the box, running Katron outside of the tackles, uh, right? Like the that that play to Malik is similar to the next play, which is a carry to, to, for Drew Aller, right? Yeah. Which is no, like, yeah, no, Wait, let's talk about a, the exchange on the board, Nate. There's after, a, after that series, someone said that was so predictable. It hurt. And someone came back and said, it wasn't predictable at all. And that's correct. why it was such a failure. Like yeah. nobody, it was such a failure. nobody expects the plays some of the play right and and there are just the ones that are anecdotal and they stand out to me for these yeah. very specific moments but nobody's expecting them because why would you expect them they're right. plays that aren't the best option or don't appear to be utilizing your best assets as an offense in in the best way passes yeah. from keandre lambert smith you're, you're probably not going to win a lot of games throwing a bunch of passes from your multiple receiver. times in a game not even oh. not even that you did it once that you did it in a game previously and then you do do it two more times and so yeah by the way uh what i was going to set you up with nate uh was on that play to malik mega both receivers are looking for the football they didn't know who's supposed to be catching the football going back to the systemic problems within the offense of what are the receivers doing? The receivers are a huge problem in this offense where they don't know what they're doing. And from game to game, they're locked in or they're not. And it seems like when things are easy to predict, 
you go into Maryland and they have a very specific game plan or you go into a different game and they have a very specific game plan. And okay, we're going to smash the tight ends against Delaware because they play three or four guys in deep coverage. And we're not going to throw in between those coverages. We're not going to have sticks routes and, you know, sit down the tight end over the middle and try to open up the zones in certain ways. What we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to smash the a button on the run game. Um, and then in other situations, if you're playing a cover zero team or a cover one team, they finally figured out how to beat those guys. But then when you play a team that can play multiple coverages, this offense seems to short circuit. And you're right. There's, there's a lot of, let's think of the most, uh, unpredictable thing in these situations to add in week to week of, okay, now we're going to do quarterback power or I'm sorry, quarterback counter. Like that's the Bo Prabula package you're running with Drew Aller, and you get what you get when you you um, have him run that ball between the tackles too many times, and he fumbles when somebody just puts their hand on his arm. But also, Drew can't fumble that ball like that. But he can't this fumble is, that ball. Yeah. This is the stuff. This is the stuff where it's we get so fixated on the one side of this story that nobody's going to talk about the fact that Drew threw a perfect ball to Dante Cephas and he dropped it in the end zone. Uh, on the first drive, right? Penn State's second possession of the game. Like yep. that's execution. That is your player that you brought here to make that play in that moment, not making it. Yep. And is that is that the worst thing in the world? No, it happens all the time. People were, don't execute all the time. Yep. But like, that's what we're talking about here is you're talking about this standard of what you need and what you want to be able to get over the top against those teams. That's it. That it's it's all of that stuff mixed together yeah. over 60 minutes. And for Penn State this season, in those two games, it never happened. It it just wasn't there. It's it's Nick, like love him, right? I, I mm -hmm. love Nick Singleton. I think he's an excellent football player or has an opportunity to become one. He's gonna get one shot a game at hitting at hitting a hole or a crease the way that he had at Michigan or excuse against Michigan yeah. uh, in the game, right? He missed it. He missed yep. it. Like, and, and is that an impossible standard uh, to, to hit at times? Absolutely. But it's also what you're counting on. You're counting yep. on your players delivering in those moments. And th there's just too much of not enough of that. The, the, the other thing that I think is this offense, despite some of the issues that they have starting fast, the game plan typically I don't think is terrible coming out of the gate. They had multiple explosive plays that just didn't happen. The very first play of the game, uh, Nick Singleton has potentially a touchdown, and Hunter Norzad misses his block. And yep. again, I, I detail a bunch of these in, in the film room where they had they predicted where the safety was going to rotate. They ran the right scheme to get Nick to the edge to get to the a, a big run without a safety over top. Another potential touchdown. One block goes wrong, and they don't get it. And that's kind of, you know, the difference, but, you know, on a play to play level. But then when you get so lost in the weeds, you, you, you kind of you forget to step back and look back at the plan and go, well, why were they running on first down so much? I think process in this offense and the check with me's and Penn State gets tricked into doing certain things that the defense wants them to do. So if Michigan, after all year playing a single high safety and showing then a two high safety, on first down and they check to a run every single play and you get five yards and you know this is given away what happens in the film room is like you just got goaded into running for five yards and losing the game because you couldn't score points and you didn't get your quarterback in rhythm whatsoever so all of these things from a play perspective all the way down it doesn't create an easy thing to say here to give you an encapsulation of what went wrong because like there's all 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 of the things we're, we're so fixated on finding the one person to blame yeah and even with the guy that gets fired there i mean the problems run deeper than or not i don't say we run deeper than that but they they run widespread like nate mentioned the the receivers the receivers have not played you know at the level they need to to beat ohio state and michigan this season but like beyond that they haven't lined up on the right side of the ball at times. Like that's where they're at with, with yeah. that. I mean, we're there's, there seems to be a gap in there between lining up correctly and beating Michigan and Ohio state. They need to be somewhere in the middle right now. And they're, and they're not. And that's been really uh, an interesting uh, side note. Cause they've, they've played the game. Like they're scared to go outside because they don't believe in, in those guys to, to make the difference. And what have we seen from those guys to believe that they can make the difference? And that's the, yeah. that's, you know, it's, it's, um, 
yeah, it's it, it's tough to watch. Also, Lambda made a good point in here that Yursich was trying to uh, trying to get fired. By the way, he called the game. Um, it just brought <laughs> Seinfeld memories up, like when George was trying to get fired from from the Yankees, and he just kept doing everything wrong. That's kind of what it felt like watching the other day. At the, it was it was really uh, tragically hilarious and awful. Like that's that 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 is, and, and it just does not make it for fun for anyone. I've said it for a long time. The points give you hope. Even if you're losing in the Big 12 scores, the points still give you hope. And that's uh, that's we're at the end of that rope there. There's a couple of interesting things I want to point out. Just this is a total aside, guys. But GOJ here has been in our chat for maybe a month now before the Ohio State game. He's an Ohio State fan who has stuck around. So I want to say, first off, I feel like that's the ultimate compliment that you don't even like the team we cover. And yet you're here each week. So I love that. Um, and we're having a conversation of Penn St- of Michigan, Ohio State via the Penn State show. Uh, I feel like we, we're providing something to somebody that they're not getting, getting elsewhere. So I love that. Um, but I do want to transition into what Jarvis Slack says here, which is just such a patently, um, I want to say wrong, but it's also nuanced. Michigan's run game was too strong. Michigan ran the ball 30 straight times because they didn't have any game pressure to throw the football. That's not Penn State's defense being bad. That's Penn State's offense being bad. Because when they did throw the football, uh, they were under constant pressure. So, Nate, this is a conversation you and I have had. Was the Penn State defense good enough? Because they did give up critical situations, but they also were out there the whole time and only gave up 24 points on short fields. Yeah, like overall, for the most part, yeah, they were they were good. They they had a lot of great moments on Saturday. Uh, however, and this is this is the sticking point for me. They were not good enough on third and longs. That the the whole formula for Penn State defensively is twofold, right? Is on first and second down, you, you got to stop the run so that you can put them into third and long. And then on third and long, not only do you have to prevent that first down from happening, which is a huge piece at minimum. When you put teams into third and long, you got to get off the field. Yep. Penn State didn't do that. Yep. But the second piece of it, and this is the part that I, I don't know how many people agree with or not, doesn't really matter to me. Penn State's bread and butter is being offensive on third down and long. Yep. It, that is where they get all the stuff. All the stuff that blows up happens in that situation. And it didn't happen other than the first sack on J.J. McCarthy, where they caught him from behind in that first third and long situation, Michigan had repeated success in those third and longs. Running, running, running the on football. third and long. Well, and yeah. that's and that's the and last that's three weeks. Yeah, yeah. Indiana did the same thing. And that's the yeah, and that's the con- and yeah. and KJ KJ Winston said it after the game. He said JJ did things with his legs that we weren't anticipating on those third and long. Like I asked, why was it so hard to get off the field on third down? He said they they did different things. That that inside yeah. it was a touchdown, right? The the inside pass uh, was no. effectively a run play. It might not yeah. have gone for a touchdown. It was, but, you know but it I'm, set up the touchdown. It set up the touchdown. Set up, it yeah. set up a touchdown. Um, you know, so they just they just missed too many opportunities. Again, talking about Penn State's one miss block preventing the huge play, Michigan didn't miss. Michigan didn't miss it on, in yeah. those situations. And it might seem like a minor detail, but it like as though everyone overcomes those things. JJ McCarthy's third and nine run where yeah. he he went around the edge, right? Yeah. Like that was perfectly can I, blocked. Can yep. I can I ask Fitz this question? Because this is something I've been thinking about since the game. Is there a reason you don't put a corner on edge contain? And is there a reason you have a defensive tackle on the field at most times? Because this third down package, while it's great against the pass, it seems that teams have figured out a pretty fundamental flaw about it. So does like, do you think that needs to adjust or is this just, they need to be in their gaps, yeah, which is yeah, what happened caught. on some of those plays. They were not in their gaps. They got caught. Gap soundness is something that we talked about. But, but you think about the, the down and distance situation and that's, I mean, it's clearly, it's clearly a passing down and Penn state clearly has approached that as a passing down because of the pressure that they are able to put on because of the way that they can get to the quarterback from the edge. Like, those guys are gone. I mean, they are straight up field, ready to go rip the head off the quarterback. It's, 
I don't want to say easy, but you could see some of that stuff coming. And and it's it's what I talked about when Indiana was in the red zone, you know, potentially there to take the lead. They ran the football on third down because they thought that they could catch them. And, yeah. you know, they, they didn't. And obviously that worked out for Penn State. But it it is a situation where they are so hyper aggressive that it it burned them and it burned them badly. Um, but going back to the original point, like they carried or they ran 13 plays in the third quarter, 47 yards, 3.6 yards per carry. Like mm-hmm. that's not that great. They were one for three on third downs. Penn State did a good job. That third that third quarter showdown that we were looking for ended three nothing, which is pretty pretty funny when you take a look at all the the, the yeah. talk that we did about that. In the fourth quarter, seventeen plays, seventy yards, four point one yards per carry, including the thirty yard run that they that the backbreaker there. Two for five on on third down. Penn State's defense pretty much did what they could, and yep. of course they went through that. They had the backbreaker there um, on the quorum run there at the at the end, but. Uh, yeah, I mean it's it, it we're, we're, the, the the amount of hairs that we split on this side of the ball compared to the amount of hairs that we have to split on the other side of the yeah. ball. Um it, it it's pretty crazy. I think Penn State did they play well enough to win? I think they did, but it wasn't a lights out performance. It wasn't a situation yeah. where you can look at that like uh you know it's it, and and just say that they were just kind of fruitless. There were mistakes, there were things they need to correct. There were certainly um, cannot let the uh, cannot let the other team run like that on third down. And Rutgers is going to try it. Like Rutgers yep. has a semi competent run game. Like they're yep. they're not going to beat you with the passing game, but they can try and outsmart you. you can try and do that. You can bet that Kirk Shirak has seen that on film as well. But yeah, that hyper aggressive mentality, as fun as it is to watch and as productive as it can be, and as much as that can snowball, can burn you. And and Michigan, to their credit, did a great job coming back and and encountering that. The, the one last and we're going to I'm going to break down all these runs uh, later today, hopefully, because um, we've got to get to it at some point. Um, if you this is the last comment I want to make about Michigan ran over Penn State, and this is the main thing. I won't get to all of these runs when I break down the film later. But if you're forcing the other team to put seven offensive linemen on the field, they're not dominating in the run game. They are desperately trying to find a way to run the football. And just I'll say it again. Penn State's offense allowed that to happen by not scoring points and putting any game pressure on the Michigan offense whatsoever. So where do we go from here? Nate, you said you shot your shot a little bit earlier, but there's some things that we need to get to from, I think, a a formatic standpoint. And how much do you guys have confidence in the collective approach of the uh, the offensive game planning and the the co-offensive coordinators making a better plan of attack and executing the attack better than what they had had previously. Uh, Fitz, how do, how do you feel about how this sets up for Penn State against what you have accurately said is a good Rutgers defense? Yeah, it's a good Rutgers defense. They're physical. Um, you know, they, they do not have as much depth, so they're going through some injuries right now that they're going to have to deal with, and and I think that that eventually is one of those games that you can see it it drawn out, but I think it's going to be like a, a much closer game than, than you think because, number one, we don't know what, the offense is going to look like like it, it they're not going to come out and flip it on its head but at the same time you got a running backs coach calling the plays so maybe you see a little bit more continuity in the running game you got a tight ends guy that that has or a tight ends coach up above in the box that has has called plays before so i just i, I don't know what we're going to look at and what this is going to be i can bet that you're going to harp on some of those things like the short throws to get uh aller and rhythm yep. um running like maybe a little bit of a different style i mean Let's be honest. They got to keep those guys healthy, or uh, excuse me, keep those guys happy in the backfield. And Jaywan wants to keep Katron and Nick around. So hey, yeah. feed those guys and see what you can do. At the on the other side, it's kind of like Michigan coached against Penn State. You, you're not really worried about Rutgers scoring too many points. Um, they were shut out this weekend by Iowa. So you've got the ability to maybe play a little bit uh, looser, if you will, t- throw some turn- turnover type throws and and see if you can complete them. I don't know, man. Like it's it, it's going to be a wild card on Saturday. I think Penn State, obviously, the better team, the deeper team, and that's going to be one of those things that can go out. But I can see this being a frustrating game to watch. <laughs> yeah, Nick, yeah. what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I mean that sounds right. That yeah. sounds right. A, fr- a frustrating. Yeah. Uh, no, I look. I, I think that you have to work with what you have, right? What, whatever the tools are in the toolbox, and so I, I wouldn't anticipate this getting like being dramatically different in terms of our view of this. Maybe it feels that maybe it will feel that way internally, but I I think from the outside, it's probably going to look fairly similar. I I, I just think, look, one of the pieces of this is 
timing of calls, right? Like, it, yeah. I mean, it's it's almost like this having a better uh, feel industry. and a better flow of the game. Like all yeah. the, all the intangible stuff that I, yep. I like, I, I you could smack me in the face with this stuff, and I would have no idea, right? What that looks like, how you gauge that, yep. but it's it's also an an art that some guys have apparently, and some guys don't. Can I so, interject here quickly? Yeah. There was one point in 2022, I thought Mike Yersich did some of those things. Like the Auburn game from a play sequencing, and he set up certain runs with certain things and then came back with a different one. It ended up being few and far between, but he did show the ability at times to call a good game with exactly what you're talking about, which is kind of the mystifying thing to me is like it all went away. All of those positive signs you might have had in 22, none of them were here this year. So, like, yeah, the, getting back to some it's, of that stuff is paramount. But if, if I, are either of these guys play callers? It's it's just a question of of, and and we can't know this, but I think that James Franklin gave a fairly straight answer about it yesterday. Is the balance between, all right, how much was he constrained by this obvious injury of the receiving room, yeah. right? Like, so, so the the literal injuries to Trey Wallace, but also the just being hampered by what you have to work with in that room. Uh, and James Franklin saying, yeah, we've talked about this. There are, there's a lot of that, that that's, that is a part of the conversation, but also should not have inhibited it to the degree that it appeared to, yeah. right? Like that's not, that's not the only or the overriding piece of this, it, but it, but also we can't negate the fact that it is a contributor. And so it just felt like uh, a guy who needed a certain, a certain, it's like the opposite of top chef, right? Like he needs his ingredients. Yes. You can't, you can't throw him the, the, the vending machine challenge and expect him to, to come out and, and cook something excellent to eat with Doritos and yeah. Twinkies. Like what's in the just, fridge. He's got to go shopping every day. He can't find leftovers and make something delicious. But if he, but if he has his fridge, maybe he's, maybe he's pretty good. I, like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I would be interested to see what that looks like, but that's not reality in college football also. Yeah. Most of the time you don't have that. Most of the time you don't have that situation. So, uh, yeah, I think that the evidence was, was overwhelming to, to the opposite and, uh, you know, Franklin made his move. I, I think the, I don't know who specifically put this in here, but, um, you know, this isn't going to be just an easy fix and, and fits. This will spin us forward. Recruiting is a big part of this conversation and, and desperately needing to fix the receiver position, but also not letting anything slip with some of these moves and some of these things that are happening. You, you don't want to lose any ground by making this move. It, it feels like Penn State would have lost ground if they didn't make this move at this point with how bad the offense have been in big games. Is that you're giving me a look. Is that unfair to say? I mean, you're kind of damned if you don't, damned if you do here. Like, you're, yeah. you're going to have to, like, t cut your losses at times. And you look at that receiver room, and, hey, some of it's just not good enough. And I don't think that's a, a Hagen's issue. I think that's more of a, you know, an overall, you know, just building to that. The way that they got here is just you're, you put yourself in a hole there, and you're, you're reaping the uh, – opposite of benefits of that uh, of that receiver room. So like I think there's going to be changes. I think there's going to be guys that, you know, uh, that that explore their options especially in this portal uh, uh world that we're in now. Yeah. Um might might be a good thing, might not be a good thing. I, I I don't know. And I mean that's just the thing with college football is you can't cut these guys and go out and sign some more. Like this is not a situation like I said with the the extension while you're waiting for a quarterback to develop. Um, it, it's, it's tough, man. It's a, the, and, and I, I said it on the board this week about, you know, bringing in, if you bring in a guy like Sean Lewis, who's going to spread it out and going to throw it and you don't, you don't have the receivers to do that. And, you know, people, there was, there was blowback into that that says, Hey, you got to get better receivers. It's, it's not that easy. I mean, you saw Penn state struck out a lot in the portal last year at receiver. Yeah. Cause it's not easy yeah. to find those guys. Everybody wants those guys and places are going to pay those guys more than Penn state's going to, uh, Penn state's collective is going to pay those guys. So it's going to be a tough turnaround, so you've got to, you know, harvest the most of what you have right now. Um, figure out what uh, what doesn't fit in those plans, and and be comfortable with it going forward. You got a lot of receivers on scholarship right now. Um, you definitely see some turnover there in the offseason. Definitely see mm -hmm. some some portal um, uh, exp exploration there as well. So 
Um, you can't, you just can't flip a room in college football. Like it's, yeah. it's nearly impossible to do Ask so. The USC defense. If you can just be good after one year of portal a- a- additions, right? Yeah. You can, you can help yourself. Like Colorado helped themselves greatly with, uh, with the portal, but there's a, there's, there's a downside to that. Like you're, you're not going to be able to do everything that you want to do, um, especially with the way that, that, that you recruit these guys. So I'm very curious to see how this off season goes. I think Penn state's going to go heavy in the portal. Um, they've, they've sort of, I don't want to say packed it in with 2024 recruiting, but like most of the focus right now is what they can do to improve their 2024 team yeah. and freshmen in, incoming freshmen aren't going to be the way that they, uh, they go about doing that. So it'll be a, a fascinating off season, uh, sign up for blue illustrate.com. That's perfect. Uh, Nate, final thoughts. I want to get you out and I'm going to ask you a specific question. I apologize. I know final thoughts are a broad thing, but going off what Fitz just said, I think yeah. there is a certain fear that the portal can be beneficial guys that want to seek other places, but also can be detrimental. Mm-hmm. Um, just the way that you've seen Penn state operate over the years and they've been a tight knit team. They have been a team that has been close, mm-hmm. you know, from a, from a bond and personal standpoint, is this enough that guys might consider their other options? Or do you think that James Franklin and the staff have a good hold of, you know, this is a healthy program. And th- as you said, this is an opportunity, not the, the sky is falling and everybody's going to transfer. Cause that's, 30% of the comments in the chat today. Yeah, this, I mean, this stuff is all in flux. That's the reality is it's not like history has yet to be written. And so there are people and conversations happening in that locker right, room right now of, Hey, what are you going to do next year? Right. Guys that you're not expecting mm-hmm. or you are expecting both like all of it. it. And so it's when decisions are yet to be made, it influences the ability of other people to make decisions, right? Think things after Brent Pry left, right? Where it's like, oh, well, in that gap between Brent Pry leaving and Manny Diaz being hired, hired and how everyone responds to that and reacts to that, that's all fluid, all of that stuff. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that, um, I think that this is an, an interesting point for the program where, it makes these last two, like, uh, I don't know why it took me so long to get to this point. These two games are huge. They are massive. The difference in perceptions of trajectory of the program internally, forget what everybody else is talking about. Like us, our conversations, they don't matter. Yeah. But what does matter on the field are the players that are in the locker room, the players that you have on the roster. And so how they feel about their ability to contribute next season and beyond or not is massive, right? And that perception will be dictated, I think, in a large way by what happens over these next two games, right? If they yeah. if they drop both of these games, that, that leaves a terrible taste in your mouth uh, going into next season and toward a bowl, so on and so forth. If they win both of these games, maybe, and, and a hire is made that, that looks good and is appealing to people, Maybe you feel differently. Maybe you're op- more optimistic. It's just, it's just, uh, it's just wild. The the variety, the spectrum. <laughs> there we go, Jay. Love it. I just wanted to bring in all opinions and I wanted to bring in all perspectives because you're right. Jay's already decided that next year is going to be terrible. Uh, Fitz, I want to get out of here on this one. There is more information. There's more news coming up. There's a decision in, in recruiting. So tell us a little bit about what uh, is going on later today. Yeah. Um, sorry, I switched gears there. Completely. Um, Beckham Kritza, quarterback from Colorado, is going to announce this evening, 7 o'clock. Um, I think Penn State's in the driver's seat right there. Um, he was not one of the guys that we talked about last week. He had yet to confirm his visit. We uh, expected him to come, but we were waiting for the uh, the official uh, word from him at that point. Very interesting like pivot right here, right? Like the Penn State is probably going to get a quarterback later today. Penn State doesn't have an offensive coordinator. Penn State still has some really good quarterbacks in the region on yeah. the board going to be fascinating because this is a i mean on one hand you've got a loophole here so you if you if you want to recruit another quarterback after this you can certainly say that hey the the new guy is going to come in do his own evaluations talk about what he wants and everything so there's that but on the other hand you're taking a quarterback and not many of these guys that we're talking about the malik washington's matt zoller's ryan montgomery was here this weekend are looking to be a part of a two quarterback class so fascinating development interesting uh i would 
call it a surprising development, but that's kind of where we're at with uh, with with things going on right now in the in the recruiting world. Beckham Kritzo again uh, from the Boulder, Colorado area. Hope to get out there and scout him in person, maybe for a week or so um, <laughs> at some point. Uh, but other than that, uh, yeah, He's it's getting out some breweries too. I imagine. <laughs> hey, we'll we'll check out we'll we'll check out the lay of the land. We'll post yeah. up at the West End Tavern, see what we could do there. Um, but um, no, it's going to be uh, it, it's just an interesting development from my from my side, especially with uh, with the guys that they had in this past weekend. It's uh, another reason to subscribe to BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. That's what we're going to leave you with. with potentially more news coming out today on the YouTube channel. So great reason to subscribe so you don't miss any of those that news and some in-depth breakdowns if Beckham decides to be a Nittany Lion, I believe, uh, tonight at 7. Uh, so be checking out BlueWhiteIllustrated.com for more information about recruiting, which is just you're getting all of the information, all the answers about recruiting. BlueWhiteIllustrated.com from Fitz and from Ryan and on the Blue White Illustrated message board. I'm Thomas Frankar. These guys have been phenomenal. Thank you both. This was a great conversation. Hopefully it made you feel better in the chat. This is a therapy session 2.0 after the post-game show, and now today talking about Penn State and the trajectory of the offense going into the final couple games. Can I can I make my joke? Yeah. Uh, if Franklin had just not gone for two, everyone would have been happy because he would have lost 24 to 17 like a normal coach. Like a, a normal, yeah, a normal coach, a normal score. Everyone would have felt better. Fine with that. <laughs> it's a good point. And uh, I, I have other things we could say about that, but we got to go. It is a point. <laughs> Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.